Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. So this is just absolutely incredible. Yeah. What tremendous uncertainty that we're living in these times and tremendous worry about. There's so many things to be to tremendous anxiety. There's a lot of things to worry about. There's so many things to be concerned about. I mean, who would have thought that this little tiny microscopic pathogen would have the ability to infect and make ill and even kill so many people around the world. It's absolutely incredible what COVID-19 is able to do. And then the fact that this little microscopic pathogen has the ability to actually destroy our economy like it is. You know, 30% of the stock market has lost its value. This is incredible and how it affects so many people. Folks are losing jobs. Folks are losing their retirement funds. There's so many other issues like that. We've spent here in Pennsylvania the last week not being able to go to school, and many of us have not been able to go to work. We've had to stay home or stay isolated from other people. This virus has just turned everything on its head, and it's created such a tremendous amount of anxiety for us today. Stick our fingers in our ears, and we say, do about that anxiety. Well, many of us, we just kind of go through life, we stick our fingers in our ears, we say, nah, 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 it's not going to bother me, it's not really a problem, we just say it's a hoax, it's just a a ruse, it's not really that bad, it's just the flu, and we can kind of deny that it's even a problem. But then the virus starts getting closer to home, and we begin to hear about what's happening in other families' lives and how they've been affected and hurt by the virus. And then we realize people have lost their jobs, and we understand that we can't just live life with our fingers and our ears. We have to face reality. And others of us, instead of really dealing with the worry that we face, the way we try to cope is by medicating ourselves. Then we try to escape. We try to run away from the worry, run away from the anxiety by maybe going to alcohol or drugs and trying to help ourselves that way. There was a report online just yesterday saying that the amount of people using pornography this past week has skyrocketed because people are just trying to, and from the worry and anxiety, find a way to get away and escape from the virus and from the worry and anxiety that it brings. And I want to say to you today that as tempting as it is to try to medicate ourselves and run away from the anxiety, as tempting as it is to try to deny that anxiety and that this virus is really the big problem that the experts say it is, that doesn't work. We can go through life saying, no weapon formed against me shall prosper, but you still got to wash your hands. You still got to isolate. You still got to stay away from people because you may be contaminated with the virus. And so we have to take these precautions. It's real. It's dangerous. So what do we do with that worry? How do we handle the anxiety that's being forced upon us. I want to remind you that worry and anxiety is a normal human response. And the Bible's clear that worry is not necessarily sinful and anxiety is not necessarily wrong. But the issue is what? Getting tighter and tighter and have that anxiety. When we feel that tension in our stomach, when our heads are getting tighter and tighter and just feel like they're going to explode because we're just overwhelmed with all the, the things that might happen that we're concerned about to ourselves, 
to our family, to our friends, to our country and community. How do we handle that worry and anxiety? And I'm thankful that even before we realized how bad the coronavirus pandemic is, we were starting to explore the questions of Jesus here at Littlestown Chapel because as we've been exploring the questions of Jesus, these early questions have actually helped us dig below the surface about these things we're facing in our present world today. It's relevant for us today. You remember that we've, and I've shared with you that Jesus asked nearly 340 questions during his life and ministry. And, and frankly, if you look at what's recorded in the four gospels of Jesus's life, we really just have a few weeks of his, imagine that he asked for of the time that he ministered on earth. And so I can't help but imagine that he asked thousands and thousands of questions during his life and ministry on earth. And why did Jesus ask all those questions? He was asking all those questions to get the attention of his audience, to, to draw them in and to think about what his teaching meant to them personally. And he was asking them to dig below the surface and not just make shallow assumptions, but to probe more deeply about what the meaning of his teaching was to them as individual people and to their community and to their families. Jesus is asking us to think about these issues in our lives, and he does that by asking questions. And the thing that's absolutely remarkable is that as Jesus asks these questions, he's ask, actually showing us that he's the question. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with him? What do you think of not? What will you believe him or not? Will you follow him or not? What will you do with Jesus? He's the question that you and I need to answer. What will we do with him? In the passage of scripture that Dawn read for us just a little while ago, Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 24 down through verse 34, this passage of scripture is in the heart of Jesus' most famous sermon that he preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus unpacks what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to live your life and my life under the authority of his kingship. If Jesus is the king and he's bringing in his kingdom, this is how you and I should be behaving. This is how we should be thinking. This is how we should be talking. This is what we should be believing. And as he challenges us, he says in verse 24, you can't have a divided loyalty. You can't make a choice and mammon or money at the same time. You've got to make a choice. You've got to decide who's going to be your master, who's going to be your leader in your life. And if you choose to serve money, if you choose to serve possessions and property, or like they called it in the first century world in Palestine, they called it mammon, it's, you, you just are serving that, and that's your master, and you really can't worship God and trust him and follow him. But if you choose to follow God and you put him first and his will first, then you've got to let go of the mammon. You've got to let go of the money and the possessions and not let them control your life, but let God control and lead and direct everything that you do say and think. Now, the thing is, is if you make that choice and you follow what Jesus is urging us to do here and you 
choose to serve God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength to love him with everything you've got. If you choose to do that, it would be very natural for the food that I need to eat. About Well, what about my possessions? What about the food that I need to eat, the clothing I need to wear, the shelter I need to have, the medicine I need, the transportation I need? What do I do about all these things? If I'm seeking God and doing God's will, will I be taken care of or not? Can I be secure? Can I be happy in this life or not? And what Jesus does beginning in verse 25, is to show us that we can trust God to take care of us. No matter how unpredictable, no matter how extraordinary, no matter how unprecedented, no matter how dangerous the times are that we're living in. No matter how dire our circumstances, we can trust God to do exactly what is right right for us and to provide for every need that we have. We have a father who is the king of everything and he always takes care, care of you. He takes care of his children. Your father will take care of you. And that, my friends, is the antidote to anxiety. God will take care of his children and when we trust him, We don't have to be worried. We don't have to have undue anxiety control our lives because our Father will take care of us. Now, as we start reading in verse 25 down to the end of chapter 6 in verse 34, I want you to notice that Jesus does two things. He starts off by asking a series of questions. It's actually five questions that he asks, not just one. And then he looks at some of the questions that we are asking. And he kind of predicts what we would be asking, what we would be wondering about, what's on our minds. And he asks those questions for us. And then he reminds us that we can trust God and he will take care of us in our time of need. By asking all these questions, the questions that he has, of anxiety. What Jesus does is he exposes the futility of anxiety. He shows us that anxiety doesn't work. It doesn't really help us. It's actually just a waste of time. It actually is a sign of weak faith. And on top of all that, what Jesus then does to give us that antidote to anxiety, he shows us that there is a father. This word from Jesus reveals a father who loves you, who cares for you, who is always there for you and will take care of you in your time of need. This gives me great hope. This gives me great courage in these anxious, uncertain, unpredictable times that God is able to take care of me and take care of you. Whatever happens to the stock market, whatever happens to our health, whatever happens to society, whatever our leaders do or don't do, we can be sure that our Father will always be faithful and caring for you and for me in this time of death. Therefore, I tell you of that. So in verse 25, Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And he asks his first question, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And what he's trying to say right off the bat is, look, 
This worrying and this anxiety that we have, this undue worry, this inappropriate anxiety that we have about the things going on in our lives, the things that keep us awake at night, this, this really is, we're worrying about things that aren't as important as our soul, as our very lives. We're worried about the food we put into our bellies. But God says, what about your soul? What can you give in exchange for your soul? We're worried about the clothing that we wear because we're, we're worried about warmth and security. We're worried about what other people think when they look at us. Will they like us? Will they popularity? It's more of us. And God wants us to know that, you know, your life is more than just popularity. It's more than just the opinion of others. It's more than comfort. I'm with you. You don't need to worry about that. Life is more than these things, the surfacey physical things that we are often so consumed about. And he says, look at the birds of the air, the wild birds that are out there in your backyard. Look at them. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Your, your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Three big lessons more, clothe you, O oh you of little faith. Three big lessons in this opening set of questions that Jesus asks us here. The first is this, is that worry is a waste of time. Worry is a waste of time. Those birds, they work. They gather seeds. They collect insects. They are pulling worms out of the ground. Those birds are working to feed, but they're not worried because worrying is a waste of time. You and I need to remember that instead of worrying, we can pray. Instead of worrying, we can search the scriptures. Instead of work, uh, worrying, we can work and serve and share and save. And we can do these things. But worrying is a waste of time. It doesn't produce what we need. It doesn't help us. On top of that, he then asks a question that I honestly think that Jesus' listeners would have just busted out laughing, thinking about, and pondering. Because he says, he says this, and in verse 27, And which of you, by being actually a little pair, single hour to his life? And that's actually a little paraphrase of what Jesus literally says. Because in the original language, what Jesus says is this, is which of you by worrying can add a cubit of length to your life? And Bible scholars say, well, you know, not many people actually want to be a foot and a half or 18 inches taller the length of a cubit. They don't necessarily want to be that tall. And that doesn't really help them. And that's really what they wouldn't be, that's probably not what they would be worrying about. So he must be talking about a time span. And that could be, maybe it's a euphemism for a longer life. But maybe it's just simply this. Maybe he's picturing our lives like a timeline or a path. And there's a day that we're born and there's a day that God has already set for us. He's appointed for us that we will die and leave this life. How many of us by worrying can actually make that path just a little bit longer? How many of us can make it just even a foot and a half, 18 inches longer than, than we doesn't make your life. And the point that he's making is it's absurd. 
Worrying doesn't make your life any longer. It doesn't make your life any better, any happier, any richer. In fact, worrying actually suppresses your ability to fight off disease and germs and viruses. It actually compromises your immune system. It's unhealthy to worry, even though it's very easy to do. It doesn't help us. And so he just says that worrying doesn't work. It's not only a waste of time, but even if you do engage and you choose to spend your time and energy worrying, it just doesn't work. It flat out fails in relieving the futility of anxiety. It doesn't work. And on top of all this, when Jesus uses the analogy of God caring for the beautiful flowers of the field, and you, you've seen these, you know, when you go out to a park or in your front yard or wherever it might be, you see these little flowers, and we often think of them just as little weeds or something like that, like irises in Israel recently. We saw these beautiful red flowers, these stalks, they looked like irises, anemones, and they were just beautiful. We saw these other very lovely little yellow flowers called candle in the night. And they were a reminder of God's creative artistry. Designing these beautiful flowers that just grow from a seed, a bulb, a root that was there. Dormant during the winter and fall and then blossoming in the spring. And there it is. It's just there whether anybody gets to look at it or not, or not. How beautiful these flowers are. How beautiful the wildflowers that you and I have around here in central PA. We see these things and we are just in awe of their beauty and majesty. And Jesus says, these flowers that did nothing to get their beauty, who didn't work for it, who didn't strive for it, who didn't worry about what they looked like, they're even more beautiful than King Solomon, the most glorious and glamorous of all of Israel's kings. And you could just imagine Solomon with his crown and royal robes sitting on his throne and everybody in awe of his majestic appearance because of his beautiful clothing. And Jesus says, you know what? Those flowers, they don't do anything and God just makes them beautiful. They're more glorious than Solomon in all his majesty. So when Jesus summarizes everything that he's saying, he then says at the end of verse 30, 30, if God clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is tender, that's used to light an oven or a fire, a bonfire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? I think the point that Jesus is trying to make here is just simply this. Yes, worry is a waste of time. Yes, worry doesn't work. But on top is a sign. This is the root of the problem of worry and anxiety. Worry is a sign of a weak faith. If we choose to dwell on the worry, if we let that worry and anxiety just continue to churn over and over, if we ruminate on that over and over in our minds, meditating on what could be, what might happen, oh, what about this, oh, what about that? And if we awfulize all these things, Jesus says it's a symptom, it's a sign that your faith and my faith is weak. You have a little faith. It's not strong. And the astounding thing is, is that Jesus tells us in other places that even if you and I 
have faith as big as a mustard seed. And some of you know how big a mustard seed is. For the rest of us that are not familiar with mustard seeds, you could use the analogy of maybe a, a grain of sand from at the beach, a speck of dirt. Even if you have faith that big, that, as small as it is, if you can do incredible things, in God is, you can move mountains with that. You can do incredible things with that. God can work in a mighty way if you're just willing to trust him and rely on him. And Jesus is saying, when we allow worry to consume our lives and control us, we are actually having faith that's smaller, that's less than the size of a mustard seed. We don't have to live like that. We have a God who is our heavenly father, and he's able to take care of everything that makes us anxious. He's able to take care of every worry that keeps us awake at night. He's able to do that. But you might be asking, well, what can I do to get stronger faith? You're telling me, preacher, Jesus is saying here in the sermon, you need to have more faith. Don't be a little faith person. How do I get more faith? Especially when we're bombarded by the news that things are getting worse and that this is more dangerous and the, the economy may... How do I get a stronger fears to recover from? How do we move on? How do I get a stronger faith that really trusts God in all of this? And that's where Jesus begins a shift starting in verse 31. Because as he's trying to summarize all this, he's not just saying that worry, undue worry, inappropriate worry is, is wrong and something that we should not be engaged in and we need to let go of it because it doesn't work and it's a waste of time and it's a sign of weak faith. Yes, this worry is, ba is bad. This anxiety is futile. There's no question. But the way you get strong faith is to realize who your father is. And instead of trusting in yourself, or trusting in the government, or trusting in the economy, or trusting in whatever it is that you put your faith in out in life, rather than trusting in those things, our country, the United Nations, our own selves, our own health, our own wealth, our own knowledge, instead of trusting in those things, what if we and we walk? What if we put all our faith in him and we watch and rest and his loving care and kindness to us. Because you see, in Jesus' preaching and teaching here, he's not only exposing the futility of anxiety, but he's also revealing to you and I the fact that there's a loving father who cares for you, his follower, and you can trust in him. And so he says, therefore, do not be anxious. He's asking the questions that we would ask. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? We don't need to be asking these kinds of questions and be obsessed with worry and anxiety about them. Because he says in verse 32, the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. The people who are unbeliever, the people who are not followers of Jesus, yes, they're worried about these things. They're anxious about these things. They're consumed about what are we going, but... Jesus says that's what they're seeking for. That's what they're worried about. But you, as a child of God, you have a heavenly father who knows that you need these things. I think that's the first thing that you and I learn about our heavenly father is that he knows what we need. He understands us. 
He cares about us. He's concerned for us. He's knowledgeable of every need that we have. And so when you and I are faced with worry, we can go to God in prayer and we can say, God, I already know that you need, you, I already know that you are aware that I need a job. I've been laid off from my job. But I'm asking you, please, to provide me with work and please provide for my family. You've done it for others in the past. You promised to do this. You promised to know that you know what I need. I'm asking you to please provide. I know you know but I'm just letting you know that I know I need it also. Please provide for my needs. So God is fully aware of everything that's going on. This is not, God's not on you. And he knows God's not on the other side of the planet paying attention to somebody else. He's paying attention to you. And he knows all about what's going on in your life and mine and what you and I desperately need at this time. God knows you and he knows your needs. Not only does God know you and not only does God know your needs, but he loves you. And in this passage, we see it repeated over and over that God takes care of the birds and you're more valuable than birds. And God takes care of the flowers and makes them very beautiful. And you're way more valuable than flowers. In all of this, he's trying to say, God loves you. He values you. He treasures you. You are priceless to him. And so he's going to care for you as you trust him. He's going to provide for your needs as you rely on him because he loves you and values you. That's what your father is like. And I, th I think those two things are just so powerful. Realize there's a God that knows everything about me, what I truly need, and there are things that really treasures me and values me and loves me. Those are such wonderful things. But there's something that to me is the force multiplier here. The thing that really compounds this and makes it even more powerful and builds my faith even more. This God who knows all about me, this God who loves me so much, he's also the God who is the king. He rules over everything. And this God is your father. And he's the one who's loving you. He's the one who is able to care for you and knows all about you. He is the God who controls everything that there is. And because he's in charge, I don't have to be in charge. And because he's aware of every need and he's control of the universe, I don't have to be anxious. Because he knows what I need. And he loves me in my need. And he has the power to do something about my need. He's able to take care of you and he's able to take care of me because he is the king. And you say, where do you see that? Well, no, this is really the A3 and this is really the solution to this problem of anxiety. This is really the antidote to the anxiety because in verse 33, and if you have your Bible open, you can just read it with me right now. Let's read it together. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He's the king. He's ruling over everything. He has a kingdom. And if instead of worrying, we seek his kingdom, if instead of being anxious, we make it our business to prioritize God and his will that we're seeking to do what he wants, that we live a life under his authority, that we live a life trusting him and praying to him and obeying him and relying on him. That's what it means to live a righteous life, living under his authority. As we do that, he promises as the king, ruling over his kingdom, this universe, 
that he will provide every need that we have in charge of everything. He is a king who loves us, who cares for us, and who is in charge of everything. And if, it, if that wasn't enough, it, it's just also so beautiful to just notice this other little phrase in verse 34. In verse 33, excuse me. Because it says not only will God, and he makes this priority, gives us a priority that we seek him first, that we put him first in all that we do. Not worrying, not being anxious, not medicating ourselves, not running away and escaping, not denying, but we seek God first. As we do that, the promise is, is that he will take care of everything that we need. All these things will be added to you. Now, he just said in verse 32 that the Gentiles are seeking for all these things and God knows that you need all these things. And not only are they seeking for all these things and God knows that you need all these things, but he promised to provide all these things, to give all these things to those who seek him first. Terrible things that might happen. Instead of letting our minds be consumed with all the terrible things that might happen, instead of being consumed with worry that just churns away at our very soul. Instead of that, if we say, God, how can I do your will today? God, what do you want me to pray about today? God, how can I obey you today? How can I show faith in you today? How can I trust you and do your will today? Because I'm going to trust you to provide everything else that I need. And he says here, he will provide all these things. This God who knows us, who loves us, who rules everything for us, he is so generous to us. He is so generous providing everything that we need. Now, he doesn't say, important caveat here, he doesn't say he provides all things for us. It says that he will give clothing, the shelter, the they will be added to us. All the things that we need, the food and clothing, the shelter, the basic essentials of life, God promises to care for us and keep us secure and meet every need we have. And you might be thinking, I'm not sure that I really want to seek God like this. But the answer is, it's worth it. Because he is so knowledgeable and he is so loving and he is so generous and he's the God who's in control. And we can trust on him. But even beyond that, we are called to seek God. That's what Jesus says, to seek his kingdom, to seek his will, to trust and rely and obey him. Remember, the God that we are to seek, he is the God who has sought for us. Jesus said that he came to seek and to save those who were lost. God showed how valuable you are to him, how precious you and I are to him. He shows you and I beyond a shadow of a doubt how precious you and I are to him. He shows us how much he loves us because he was able to provide for our deepest need by sending his son Jesus to earth to die on the cross in our place and to rise from the dead and to give the gift of eternal life and God's eternal love and his eternal forgiveness and his eternal acceptance and protection and guidance. This eternal life he gives to everyone who's willing to trust in him because he's the God 
who took the initiative to seek you and I out. He came to earth. Jesus died for us and lives for us to give us this kind of life. It's worth seeking him because he has sought for us and met our deepest needs through his son, Jesus. To be consumed with worry. The thing is, according to Jesus here, is that if we allow our lives to be consumed with worry and anxiety, if we refuse to seek God and his will first, you know what we're showing by our lives? We're showing by our lives that we're practical atheists. We're not really trusting God. We're not really relying on him. We're saying that this virus is in control or the fate is in control or we're in control and we're out of control. We don't have control anymore and it's hopeless. We're helpless. And Jesus wants you and I to know that that's not true. That there's a God who loves you, who knows you, who's so generous to you. He's in control. And he invites you to trust him and rely on him. And so what this means is when you and I are maybe watching the news and we just kind of feel that anxiety welling up, or when we suddenly realize, how is this going to affect my retirement? Or how is this going to affect my children or my grandchildren or my parents? Our vacation plans are going to do about my job or what am I going to do about graduation or what am I going to do about our vacation plans or any of the things that you and I would be worried about and anxious about, any of the losses and grief that we're going through. As we're worrying and churning up in our minds about all of this, in that moment of worry and anxiety, use that as a trigger to do something good. Not self-medicate, not seek isolation, not try to run away and deny that there's a problem, but instead let that be a trigger to go to prayer, a positive trigger. Let it be a, a trigger to go pray. Let it be a, a trigger to remember the promises of God. Let it be a trigger to go act in service, helping someone else. Perhaps it's a member of your family. Perhaps it's a neighbor or a coworker. But when we're triggered by anxiety, let it be a positive trigger to turn to God and seek him and trust him. To let the anxiety make, don't have to let the worry overwhelm us. We don't have to let the anxiety make everything awful. Because there's a God who knows you and loves you and is generous for you. He's in control. And he's inviting you and I to trust him and rely on him. Let's pray together. And while our, our heads are bowed in this moment of prayer, I, I want you to know that wherever you're at listening to this, Whenever it is that you're listening to this, God is watching you and he knows you and he hears you and he's fully aware of you and he loves you. He cares for you. He wants to be generous and providing for you. And, and above all that, he controls the universe for you and for all his children. Are you willing to trust him now? The first thing that you could do to God's kingdom is to surrender to him as the king, to trust in him, to rely on him. I was reminded yesterday 
my wife Dawn made this excellent observation. She said, maybe God is using the pressures of the fallen economy and the threats of the virus and the possibility of death and sickness. Maybe God is using this just to break up the hard soil of our lives, to motivate us and motivate our neighbors to really care about what God's saying and to be open to his will and his word. Maybe God has been breaking up the soil of your heart and in your anxiety and worry, maybe you have listened to this message today and I just want to say that God wants to plant the seed of his truth in your heart. Let it grow. Let it grow by surrendering to him, letting him become your king. Yield to him as he become a member of his family and he promises to take care of you. You'll become a member of his family. You'll be forgiven of your sins and accepted into that family. And God promises to always care for you so that you can be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. If you're willing to trust Jesus and rely on him and make him your king, you can just simply pray something like this. Dear God, I see that your son Jesus is the king. He's the king of everything. He's the king I need and I want to rule over my life right now. I believe he came to seek me out. I believe he came to give his life on the cross, that he died for me and rose from the dead for me. I believe that he wants to take care of him, my And so I am trusting him now, and I make him my king. Help me live a life that shows I'm trusting him. Help me live a life that says thank you to him every day. And Father, I ask that you would help all of us when we're faced with the worries and anxieties that every day brings, help us to remember while worry doesn't fix anything and while every day we'll have new worries, you never change and you are the same. You love us. You care for us. You're generous with us. You rule over everything for us. Help us trust you. Help us obey you. Help us seek you and serve as king. I pray for peace. I pray for provision. I pray for protection. I ask this for myself, for my family but I ask it also for everyone who's listening and watching this, every person who's worshiping now in your presence, hearing your word. I pray this for our leaders, for our community, for all the doctors, for the first responders, for all the pharmacists, for all the folks that are putting food on the shelves at the store, all the guys and gals that run our utilities. Lord, we lift them up to you. And we pray for this peace and protection and provision for each of them. In all of this, Lord, help us rest in your care. 
our loving, faithful, almighty King. We pray this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. In all God. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Scott. We're going to sing our closing song.